Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. We'll be talking about all things food related during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll find out what British food writers and chefs are whipping up in their kitchens, talk about how food businesses are coping to meet demand, and find out what families are doing for food inspiration during these crazy times. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week, our lucky listeners will be in with a chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host, Charlotte Pike, award-winning cookery writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry podcast. I'm Jules Waddell, a former BBC Radio 4 journalist and now founder of British food brand Moorish Hummus and Dips. I live in Devon with my husband and two teenage children. Don't get me started about that. And obviously, normally we like to get out and about around Devon. We moved here uh, six years ago with a view to spending time in the great outdoors. We like walking on Dartmoor, going to the beach. And in my normal working life, I run Moorish, the Hermes company from a home office, uh, but would often have meetings in London with supermarkets or be visiting the hummus factory in London and generally being a very busy bee. I could do a lot of my day job when I was working from home around the school hours. My kids would go off to school, I'd get headspace, be super productive and then they'd come back and I'd make dinner and we'd have family time. But clearly all of that has changed now. So I'm finding it very strange to have a house full of people all the time Plus, I won't pretend that trying to homeschool my kids whilst working full-time is not challenging. My husband, I have to say, has been great. He was an osteopath. Clearly, that's not an occupation that can continue during the coronavirus crisis. So his income has dropped off a cliff, but it does mean he's around at home to help with the kids and encourage them, shall we say, to do their schoolwork in as much as we possibly can. In terms of cooking, we have always shared the load, but... My husband wasn't as around as much. Obviously, now he is around a bit more, so we are properly sharing. I'd say we're cooking 50-50. And we're doing new things like making bread, things we've got a bit more time for, trying new recipes and that sort of thing. So that's quite nice. So that's me. Let's meet Charlotte. I will let Charlotte tell you all about herself, but I have to say I am absolutely delighted she's agreed to be my co-host I first met Charlotte a couple of years ago when we were both giving a talk at a local food festival. I remember thinking she was incredibly knowledgeable about food and cooking, and you'll find out why when she tells you who she is and what she does. But I also remember that she had a lovely voice. And so when I was thinking who would be the perfect co-host, Charlotte came to mind. Charlotte, over to you. Thank you, Jules. So I'm Charlotte Pike. I'm a cookery writer, teacher, and a chef. In normal times, I split my work life between writing cookbooks, teaching cookery classes and working as a private chef. So I cook for special events all over the UK and abroad. I live in southwest England with my partner, who's a design engineer. We both have very busy jobs, 
but it's just the two of us at home and we really enjoy working hard and traveling when we get free time. Life before COVID-19 was relentlessly busy. Every workday was different and I loved the variety my work brought to my life. From meticulously testing recipes at home in the day to catering for a wedding for hundreds of people, each week I'd travel hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles, working all day in one place and one evening elsewhere. Every day was different. Food is such a fantastic industry to work in. And what I love most is meeting so many interesting people and sharing great food with them. It almost feels like another life looking back at it now. I've never been home more than I am at the moment, and that's been a huge change. We're now both working from home for the first time ever, and it's quite intense being together all the time, but I think we're managing okay. I've taken to working around the kitchen table, which I actually really like, and I've never been home so much in the evenings and weekends as much as now, or indeed in one place for so long. I'm pretty organized, and I always have a really long to-do list, so I've been trying to find the positives in the situation and doing as much as I can during the pandemic to get on with those jobs I've not had time to do. And I'm really enjoying cooking at home every day, which is something I've not really had too much time to do before. So that's been fun. It's been a change. Thanks, Charlotte. That is brilliant. And like I say, fantastic to have you as a co-host on the show. And I think it's no understatement to say we are really excited about this podcast. Thank you, Jules. I'm so excited to be here with you. So how are you really, Charlotte? I'm actually really well, thank you. Kind of managing all right, thank you. And how about you? Uh, yes, it is. It's interesting. So I feel like it's a bit of a roller coaster. One day I seem to be okay and just able to sort of get on and, and do what I need to do. And then other days I get a sort of an awareness of the seriousness and significance of the situation. And so it does feel a bit like a roller coaster. So what's been happening at home for you this week? I know that you'll have been cooking a lot, but are you getting more used to life in lockdown? Obviously, we're, we're a few weeks in now. How do you feel? Yeah, I I totally know what you mean about it being a roller coaster. I can totally identify with that. I mean, I think we're starting to get into a a sort of a routine now. We're both working as usual during the day. And then we're trying to do something nice every evening just to sort of break up the day a bit and have something to look forward to. So that might be a walk, a bike ride or a run. And then I try and make something nice and different for supper. So it's really just focusing on the little things we can do each day. But we've kind of eased into it. And I think part of that is just enjoying it for what it is and not being sad and frustrated about what we can't do or the things we've cancelled. And <laughs> it's, it's very odd. But what's been happening at home for you? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's trying to find the nice things and being thankful that the people I know and love are well at the moment. And obviously, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. So every day I'm thankful that that's the case. Sadly, that is not the case for everybody. And that's always in the back of my mind, to be honest. So yes, you know, doing lots of routine things, working lots, you know, people are buying a lot of of hummus at the moment, which is great. And it means there's plenty for me to be doing on the business, uh, but also doing more cooking, a bit of walking. So I go on a solo walk around the village every day and sort of accepting the new normal. But I do sometimes swing into to wild anxiety, I won't lie. And so it's just that sort of 
it's in the back of your mind, isn't it? And it's yeah. definitely interesting times in terms of, you know, I'm telling my children, we're living through through history. I mean, obviously, everybody always is, but this will be a period that's remembered and analysed for many years and decades to come. In terms of food shopping, you know, it's a new experience. Uh, what's it been like for you trying to get a hold of your, your usual shopping or maybe not your usual shopping? What have you been up to in, in the food shopping part of your life? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I I totally know what you mean about having everything in the back of your mind all the time. I'm certainly feeling like that with everyday things like shopping. I mean, that's the only time I'm going out. And I'm really grateful that I can go out and I can get most of the things that I need. So whilst it's changed a lot, I'm really grateful for that. This week, I've noticed it's been quite different going shopping, actually, because I've been managing to get hold of almost everything that I wanted to buy for the first time in weeks, probably since the end of February, actually. But the way I've been shopping has really changed. So I used to do things, uh, sort of a big shop online, and to buy direct from independent suppliers, things like meat and fish, I do a big order. But now my options really are to, to go to the supermarket and do a large shop, which is something I haven't done before. And it's quite an interesting experience. I went to do my shop yesterday and it took me nearly three hours to drive to the supermarket, queue up, go around, pay. And I'm just not used to doing that. So I'm lucky that I can get things, but it does feel strange. It does, definitely. I'm, I'm shopping a lot at our local village shop, which is doing really well at getting in, you know, the things that you would think if something's going to be uh, not available, that's what you would expect. And they have it. They even had strong white bread flour this week, which I know <gasps> is very difficult for anybody to get a hold of. I'm trying to avoid going to the supermarket any more than I absolutely have to but obviously there are occasions when I do go and I'm getting more as I go you know that one trip will be a bigger trip just so I don't have to go again for a while not in terms of stockpiling or anything but just making sure I've covered absolutely everything that the family could need for the next week or so it needs a bit more planning so my husband and I sat down this morning and this isn't something we would normally do food shopping used to be my thing and mine alone because I would be doing most of the cooking and I would do the shopping, whereas now we sit down together and that gives him some agency in terms of what he's cooking and eating because he's at home more. But we plan it together and we do plan it properly every meal and what, what exactly do we need for that meal and then lunches and you know what do we need for those, whereas before it would have been much more of a wing it, well, if I, can, if I forget something this time, I'll be going again soon. So it is a different vibe. And then obviously in the supermarket, it does feel really sort of there's an Armageddon vibe for sure going on um with you know people with face masks and and lines that you have to stand behind it actually reminds me of a school trip to Russia I had when I was 18 where things are super <laughs> policed and that that's a totally different vibe obviously we're not used to living like that um I was going to go this morning to my local supermarket but my neighbor rang and said she had had gone to do the same thing and there were massive queues and that we'd be there for hours so I guess a bit like you yesterday I still can't get an online delivery from my supermarket yeah. and I know mm. I can't get into the Ocado app I can't get Sainsbury's online I, th I think some supermarkets are are becoming more available for online deliveries and that's something that I'm really keen that we we update on the website so that you know you and I and everybody else can go on and have a look and, and find out who's sort of you know the supermarkets will be getting this more organized as time goes on and, and they're able to cope with with the new world and the new ways of, of demand uh, from shoppers so hopefully I will get out to the shop later and at some point we'll be able to order online as well so that would be great strange times eh mm, indeed
Well, it's time to meet our lovely guests now. Every week we'll be chatting to one special guest and one industry expert. This week's special guest is... Mitch Tonks is a chef, restaurateur and cookery author. Seafood is Mitch's great passion and his professional life is devoted to sourcing, cooking and sharing amazing quality sustainable fish and shellfish. Based in Devon, he runs his flagship seafood restaurant, The Seahorse in Dartmouth. Alongside eight branches of Rockfish, his small chain of informal fish restaurants based in Devon and Dorset. He's won awards for both businesses. Be it a blowout celebration or a takeaway fish supper, his restaurants serve both special and simple seafood. Everything they sell is sustainable, seasonal, locally caught and sourced from nearby fish markets as well as their own boat, The Rockfisher. What he doesn't know about seafood isn't worth knowing, and Mitch shares his knowledge through his cookbooks, regular TV cooking, his chef training program at South Devon College, and his work as an ambassador for the Marine Stewardship Council. Mitch is a prominent ambassador for British seafood, fishing, and the restaurant industry. A genuine love for the sea, great food, great drink, friends and family seem to be pivotal to everything he does. Mitch Tonks, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. Mitch, it's certainly been an interesting time to be a restaurateur recently. I understand you took the call to close your businesses just before the UK government mandated the closure of bars and restaurants. Can you talk us through the last few weeks for you and how you're supporting your teams and businesses through this time? Well, I think um, the last two weeks have been uh, interesting as a it's a funny way to describe it. I think it was a big cold water shock. And what we thought one day just changed the next day. And uh, in my mind, originally, I just thought, we'll close for a couple of months. It'll all be fine. We've got to pay everybody. And we'll open again for the summer and everything will be really great. And um, gradually, Will Beckett, who is our chairman at work, who was uh, one of the founders of Hawksmoor, he was on it too. And we were speaking every day and he called me one, I don't forget it, one, I can't remember the day. They all seemed to merge into one. He said, Mitch, I, I just urge you to be a lot more pessimistic than you're being. I really would. I gathered up all the information I had. I sat down with a glass of wine in that evening and I wrote to everybody and said, guys, we're closing on Friday. That's what we're going to have to do. And that's what we did. And at that point, it was a leap over the cliff because the implications of closing restaurants when you have 274 staff, a certain amount of cash in the bank, no way forward was a tough decision. But uh, it turned out to be the right one because on that Friday... It was mandated that restaurants were closing and um, at least we had time to prepare. And I heard there were lots of other restaurant groups that were still stocked up with food for Mother's Day, would you believe, and had to deal with getting rid of all that on the Friday too. So I was glad we were ahead of it. Yeah, the time is so difficult with Mother's Day just approaching as well, isn't it? It's a big time for restaurants, isn't it? The bigger uh, peak day. You know, looking out over the... Um, I live near one of the restaurants here in Brixham and I can see it from my window in this last few days over Easter... Oh man, we'd have been absolutely packed. It would have just been the most fantastic trading period. Sunshine, the first Easter break, school holidays coming up. I mean, you know, we've lost so much business. It's unbelievable. But yeah, I think you have to be philosophical about it. And actually, um, you know, I missed the life that I had because I really enjoyed yeah. my life. But now I realise that that life no longer exists and uh, have to look at life in a very different way. I think that's what we're all having to do. So it's been challenging. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I'm really interested in as well, Mitch, is how the fishing industry is faring at the moment. So my supplier, for example, is telling me that they're having huge issues because the restaurant industry isn't 
buying their fish and also because of social distancing when they're trying to catch the fish. So can you tell us a bit about what's happening at the moment? Yeah, I was over on the fish market this morning. I, I live, you know, yeah. not far away. And so I, I kind of go over there just to keep my hand in, really. And there were some stunning fish on the market this morning. Um, a few big beamers, some small day boats fishing. Interestingly, most of that fish is still going abroad. And a lot of fish counters in this country aren't, aren't working, aren't running. Um, I know there's a few London fishmongers that are doing very well and a little bit of mail order too. But it's being really propped up by the export market. But yesterday I did something uh, which was pretty unusual. We've got a little trawler called the Rockfisher. And mm. we sent a mail out on Saturday just to our customer base saying, listen, we're going to tie the boat up and we've been fishing for two days, come and buy some fish. We had no scales, no money. It was just a case of like, come along. I made the prices up there and then, <laughs> you know what fish is worth. And uh, sent people over to the Rockfish Takeaway to pay. And, you know, nobody minded at all. They bought their own bags. It was an extraordinary sight and a wonderful experience because I think before all of this, if you'd have said to somebody, look, just turn up on the key, you'll be told what you have to pay, then you have to go and walk 100 yards to pay and bring your own bags and boxes. People would have said, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. I want better service. And nowadays, people are just thinking, I just want the fish. And, and of course, I'm quite happy with that compromise. And it worked really well. It was amazing. And uh, I'm going to do that again. I kind of hope that it's a game changer for the fishing boat because the boat was able to realise probably two thirds more, probably three times the value of its catch than dumping on the market. And the economics oh, really? of fishermen is really, really tough. I mean, you know, Nick, who skippers our boat, you know, you can go, go weeks for that money. So I think it's great that the industry can sell direct to the public and make the economics a lot better. Imagine if there were 10 boats out there once a month. I mean, it would just be fantastic and unique for the town. Imagine if that happened in Padstow and all the other towns where there are fishing fleets still left. It would be a, a wonderful thing for us. Yeah, it's an amazing service. I mean, I live near the coast in Dorset and I, we can't buy the fish that comes in because it all goes straight out to export. So It is. And, and you know, having run fishmonger shops, I mean, they're not easy. Uh, you know, you need to have a really busy fishmongers to make it work because of course you're sitting on a time bomb with that product you know you only have two or three days before it's gone and if you haven't got the custom you're the guy who takes the hit financially so that's why we don't see so many fishmongers anymore they're just too difficult and the ones that are left are the busy ones and the good ones so how does the boat normally work for your business in in normal times so in normal times she'll be fishing when, when she can weather wise she lands her fish in the evening she's a day boat skippered by one or two people she'll be fishing for anything really from Dover sole, lemon sole, cuttlefish, you know, anything that's really in season out there. She's fishing within 12 miles of the shore and she lands, lands it in the evening and goes into what we call our fish room, which is our, our premises where uh, we prepare all the fish for the restaurants every day and it gets sorted and our guys take the orders off our chefs and pack the fish and then the very next day it's in the restaurant. So that's what we do. Obviously the boat doesn't catch all we need, but it's a lovely thing to have amongst what we do. That's one of the things I personally love about your restaurants is that, you know, you just don't know what's going to be on offer until you walk in and then you just find, you know, however, whatever's on the menu and it's cooked, however, will really enhance the fish. It's just such a wonderful experience. Well, that's great to hear, Charlotte. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's been a 25 years trying to, uh, you know, get fish restaurants right. The Seahorse has been a, obviously a particular love and, uh, you know, it's very much a family restaurant that we still have. The head chef that worked with Matt and I at the beginning, Jake, who's now sort of taking it over from Matt and I. So it's a real legacy business. You don't find restaurants that have history like that anymore. And in Rockfish, we've, I always say to people, you know, it's been a 10 year overnight success in building it. And uh, it's really just been a series of failures that allowed us to, you know, have a menu that's reasonably static with frozen fish, MSC certified fish. And then, you know, our 
tablecloths where we write down which fish is available is really where, where rockfish comes to life. Because we're writing every day, it allows us to um, kind of, you know, work with the catch, whereas previously we've had printed menus and you end up going over to the table and saying, no lemon sole, no Dover sole, no crab. But now we can just work with what's around and it's, it's amazing, really good. I have to say, I visited your Dartmouth branch of Rockfish almost weekly. I was a a well-known regular in that restaurant and it was a lovely place to bring visitors. You know, people come to South Devon on holiday or or to come and see us, family and friends. And it was always such a treat to go either to the Seahorse or Rockfish. And people would always say, I wish we had one of these. And I think... You know, if you could win the lottery and when times are better, open one everywhere. It's it's a real winning formula. And I know it's it's been years in the making, as you say, to get it right. But there's something so special about the experience of going there. And, you know, we don't eat enough of our own marine life in this country. And it's so sad to see it being exported when you can have a, a lovely experience, not massively expensive and just something that that we don't do in this country for some very odd reason. But I thought yesterday was brilliant, and I I did go to your Brixham Harbour uh, catch, and that wasn't planned as part of the podcast. We're massive seafood fans, and what an absolute treat to turn up, not know what was going to be in the boxes, see the boxes on the trawler, super fresh, the novelty of going off to pay for it in the shop and, you know, not knowing what you were going to be charged or what you were going to buy, what we were going to make. And then uh, the chap that served me said, oh, you know, you could make a lovely stew with this. And that's what we did. And it was so fresh and delicious. I totally understand and respect the the downsides and the implications for your life and your business. There is an, an element, possibly quite small, but it's definitely there of positivity, of going back to the old ways of doing things. And let's, do something with that and those values of, you know, shopping properly and, and taking what's there, not demanding what we want, and then cooking something fresh and amazing and, and the excitement and joy that brings. I agree with you, Julie. I mean, after, as I say, the initial shock of what we're going to do, we think we have a we have a way forward. We're going to survive this. We're going to come out. We're going to think very differently about the way we do things in our restaurants. I mean, I genuinely feel like this is one of the most unique times. We're never going to experience it again. Um, it's terribly sad for people that are getting ill, losing their lives are on the front line. But from where I sit right now, I just feel like the world has paused and it's given us a chance for it to recover, for communities to recover. Brixham has always been a friendly place, but now it's even more of a friendly place. I mean, just seeing a queue of 30 people with Tupperware containers and bags rocking up to buy seafood, that would never have happened if this whole situation hadn't arisen. And uh, regularly in our house now, we're buying wines, we're buying meats, you know, things are just being delivered to the door. And it's great to be able to hook up with, you know, suppliers and growers. You know, there are fields full of asparagus out there that have got nowhere to go. And, uh, you know, some enterprising guys are posting it to people's houses and all that sort of stuff. And for me, that's an utter joy. I did say to somebody this morning, actually, that Brixham, I don't know if I was romanticising, but it felt like much more of a European town where in the mornings people were, although with social distancing, were going to the butcher who has always been here and you know now I use him more than I ever did. The greengrocers are busy, supermarkets, we have little ones that are picking up, but everybody's out and, uh, and everyone's saying hello to each other rather than just bumping into each other in supermarkets. So yeah, I'm, I'm immensely positive about this whole period and I think we have a chance to emerge as better businesses and much more chilled people. Mitch, one of the most striking elements of this crisis, I think, is the sort of humanity and generosity of people to help one another. What do you think we can do right now to support the fishing industry and the restaurant industry when it gets back? 
going after this pandemic? Obviously, you carry on buying fish from your local fishmongers and uh, supermarkets that sell local British landed fish. So that's really important that we keep that demand up. But I think when your favourite restaurant opens, I think it's actually going to be a a changing time for restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I think we're rediscovering that there were so many of them that, you know, most people were eating out two, three times a week. It had just become the norm. And going to a restaurant hadn't become that special experience that it used to be. We were just fueling up on cheaper food and it was easier and it was more convenient than cooking. And now we're forced to cook again. Everybody's actually getting the joy of cooking for your family, having your friends around. Well, we can't have friends around yet, but, you know, cooking for your family and sitting around the table together every night is incredibly enjoyable and much cheaper. So I think that the shift will be for people to go to restaurants that are good and restaurants will be a treat because now we, we've had all this time, you know, people are baking bread everywhere. People are doing all sorts of things and baking cakes, can't get hold of flour and yeast for love nor money. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, it just feels like, hey, you know, families are eating together and, and we're going to have to work hard as restaurateurs to make the experience kind of real good for people. When you pick your favourite restaurant, I think whatever that may be, support it. You know, go there and, and spend as much cash as you can afford to help it on its feet, really. Yeah, because that's going to be a critical period. I think when the initial transition period, when everything starts to get back going again, we need to actually, if we can, get out and start spending that money to help the businesses to start to get back on their feet, don't we? We do. I, th- I think, sadly, I think uh, certainly for us, we have it in our minds that October will be a sort of time where we think we might be able to open in some way, shape or form. And for us, it's the worst time of the year to open. We're heading into the winter. Normally, we go into the winter with had a bit, very busy summer and cash that can carry us through through the winter months. We're not going to have that benefit now, so it's going to be a pretty tough time. And, you know, we're, we're making plans for what the transition period might look like in opening just a few of the restaurants, maybe not all how we're going to take care of our people. It's very important that we take care of our staff. We've got an amazing group of people and um, our ops people are really great people too. So we need to take care of them. And we need to also, I think, you know, be really visible about our cleaning regimes, about the way we, we deal with customers. A lot of our customers are older people. And, uh, and I want them to feel like incredibly comfortable that Rockfish has got all that stuff taken care of. They can come there, eat their favorite seafood and actually feel like, you know what, I'm not compromising anything at all by going there. And of course, we don't know what social distancing measures will be in place. And indeed, whether or not it'll be a case of stopping, starting, stopping, starting, who knows, it's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty good time. So Mitch, in, in normal times, I'm a cookery teacher. And one of the classes I teach is a fish masterclass. And I think it's fair to say that fish is probably one of the most misunderstood ingredients out there. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do with it at home. They don't know where to buy it. If they buy fish, they buy it from the supermarket, maybe pre-cut fillets of salmon tends to be what a lot of people are buying. What advice can you give to people for buying and cooking fish at home, particularly if you've never cooked it before? What about buying sustainable fish at home? What, what do you recommend? Well, I think, I think most people are going to end up buying from supermarkets. So um, unless you're lucky enough to have a fishmonger with you, but let's assume you're going to a supermarket, there's usually a lot of white fish there and there's a lot of frozen fish too. Nothing wrong with frozen fish. I would look for the MSC logo, obviously, I'm an advocate for the MSC and it's an organisation that uh, works with fisheries to ensure that they're being fished sustainably. Also, I'd look for local British fish. I mean, our British fleet is so incredibly well managed. I kind of like to feel that everything we catch around our shores is not being grossly overfished and we should definitely support British fleet. So those are the few things to look forward to or look for. The next thing is to just keep it simple. You know, you can look at all sorts of fish recipes and they become very complicated. Fish just likes to be left on its own. It likes to just be the star of the show. It needs a little butter, a little olive oil, a little little vinegar or a little acid with it to help bring out the flavour. You know, think capers and those kind of things. But a method I always use at home, um, and it's quite interesting, you know, I'm in a restaurant kitchen, or when I was in a restaurant kitchen all the time, 
we've got KPs, we've got industrial ovens, we've got trays to just reach for and, and put them in. It all becomes very easy. And then I get into my house and suddenly I've got to scale fish and I've got to do all this stuff. And it does become a different environment, not quite as convenient as a commercial kitchen. So what I tend to do an awful lot is use a layer of foil and a layer of parchment paper over the top. I put my fish on it. And one of my favorites is sea bass or any, any fish really with a sauce made of sesame, sugar, soy, ginger, and spring onions. And I just pour that in the bag, you know, fold a pasty shape so it's all nice and sealed up and then put it in the oven and uh, give it sort of, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes at maximum, open it up, fresh coriander over the top. And you've got this wonderful Chinese sort of style fish, but you know, in that parcel, you can chuck anything you like. If you like chilies and lemon, chuck chilies and lemon. If you like butter and lemon, you love butter and lemon. But it'll work always for you, cooking fish that way. You've got to worry about pans and it's sticking and all the rest of it. And likewise with whole fish, just roast them. You know, treat them like a, you know, a fish that weighs a kilo, take 35 minutes, guaranteed every time, but the oven on max, always. Sounds absolutely delicious. I have to say it's coming up to lunchtime and I am incredibly hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll do. We've got some, some of your lemon sole from the harbour yesterday. Mm. Maybe that's what we'll do for lunch. Uh, listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It only remains for me to ask you, and um, we're all looking forward to at some point this being over, in what shape or form that will be, we don't know. What three things are you looking forward to, Mitch Tonks? I'm looking forward to hugging people people I love and, and my friends. I'm looking forward to a beer on tap, probably a, a nice cold Guinness on tap would be real good. I'm probably looking forward to the moment when somebody actually says, we've got a vaccine for this, it's all over. Now we can just carry on living in a much better, more positive way. Well, absolutely. Cheers to that. And I, for one, I'm looking forward to getting back to my weekly lunch at Rockfish. That will be an absolute treat. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We are uh, really looking forward to putting this episode out. Take care. I'll see you on the harbour. Thank Bye-bye. you so much for your time, Mitch. Absolute pleasure. It's really nice to see you. Bye-bye. Can't wait Bye-bye. to get back to Rockfish as well. <laughs> Take care. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Bye. Well, that was great. Now it's time to meet our industry insider. Tony Finnamore is a charity consultant, coach, and event organizer, founder of The Social Society, a social club whose aim is to do good in society. The society brings together its members to volunteer in the community and to share their professional skills with charities. They run events and fundraisers aimed at bringing communities together. Tony describes herself as being passionate about giving the vulnerable a voice with kindness, community and connection at the heart of everything she does. She's currently running the Brighton Community Fund, raising funds for local food banks and community groups to support the most vulnerable in the city during the crisis. Tony Finnamore, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Hi, Tony. Thanks so much for joining us. It's Jules here. We'd love to know, first of all, just very briefly sort of about your background. What brought you to charity work? To be honest, Julie, I've always worked in, in sort of charity from very, very early age, probably going back to sort of 13. So wherever I've moved over the country, I've always worked in small projects and eventually larger charities managing sort of national services. So always been in the history, career history. And then what particularly brought you into food banks? 
it's part of the social societies model. So we support six charities within the, within the community-based model that we offer sort of skills, time and expertise to. And we support a couple of projects that deal with food banks and also surplus food in the community and, and community kitchens. So it, they sit underneath the model as it stands. Fantastic. And obviously, we've heard a lot about food banks in recent years, never mind the current situation. Food banks have been really important to, you know, huge, huge numbers of people in our society. And that's something that's been in the press for a long time. What's going on with food banks now? I can only imagine that whatever was happening before has just grown massively in terms of people's needs and and what you're trying to do to help them. Absolutely. I think since the crisis or the pandemic has hit, I think we've all seen at the very start of this, people people were scared, people went out, there was lots of panic buying in shops, um, which ultimately led to supermarkets running out of food and in turn food banks running out of food. So the emergency three-day food parcels that communities would give to those that were vulnerable or isolated or in need of such items They've completely run dry in lots of areas. And so the campaigns and the support that we're trying to offer um, in terms of raising funds is to fund the food banks directly, so via wholesale buying of food. So, yes, it's very much a crisis situation at the moment. So just let me understand, where is the food coming from? When I go into the supermarket, I see boxes sort of left by the tills that are clearly for food bank donations. Is that the main way that you get food into food banks or is it through... A wholesale sourcing tell us a bit more about how it works lots of different ways you're right yeah you do often see sort of drop-off points and collection points for the local food banks in the community unfortunately with this crisis and the increase in panic buying supermarkets have seen people taking those stocks from sort of front doors which is oh, wow yeah, which is yeah really quite shocking but um also it's supermarkets, so surplus food, they, they, supermarkets will donate to community projects or surplus food from restaurants. That's how they usually get elements of food and donations from people in the community. Obviously, with people having to self-isolate now, food banks aren't getting the donations that they would usually have got from, from community provisions. And so they're running extremely low on, on products and hence the reason that they're needing to buy now wholesale from larger suppliers to bring in and support the community. So they're actually buying rather than having free donations. That must be a big difference. It is a big difference. Hence the sort of trying to sort of think outside of the box and and raise funds so they can buy that food indirectly. I think, you know, some food banks locally, when when I talked to them last, had a couple of weeks worth of food left. Others have completely run out. I think there's there's the added element that lots of the community food banks are also run by people that are sort of over 65. So they've had to down tools and close the food banks themselves because of the volunteer, you know, the age demographic. So there's a whole heap of complex factors, I guess, there. Wow, so you've got less donations, more need, volunteers not as available as they were. So really the fundraising is absolutely vital at this point. What what can people do to help? Can they still firstly donate in supermarkets? They can do, but I think with the, the sort of strict guidelines now, the restrictions on how many people get in, enter those sort of supermarkets, it's limited. And they've had to take some of the provisions away from entrances, like I said, because people are taking them. So they can do, but I think the best way is via donation. So food banks can buy in wholesale. So I think the best thing that people can do is to link in with their local community food partnerships um, and charities that are on the front line, supporting those that are vulnerable and get information from them. And can they just find those local organisations on the internet? Just a quick Google? 
Yeah, usually the local authority websites have a list of people that are supporting those in the community in crisis at the moment. So that's probably the first port of call. Great. That's really interesting. It's sad to hear that the need is greater and it is more difficult. I think, you know, what always surprises me is the kind of people that go to food banks. It's not necessarily who you might expect. Can you tell us anything about, you know, who these people are? Yeah, not just food banks. I think some lots of the, uh, Brighton in particular, we have lots of amazing organisations that run sort of community kitchens. We have a charity that we're supporting called the Real Junk Food Project and they operate a pay-as-you-feel community kitchen and you can get anybody in there from from lawyers, from, you know, people that access the community, from the homeless service provisions, drug and alcohol abuse programmes, but also you and I. So if you're walking past and you fancy a community meal on a larger scale and to meet and connect with new people, then that's you and I as well. So what would lawyers be doing in a food bank? It's in the community kitchens, community kitchens. Oh, that is, yeah, so the food banks, it's usually, in particular, lately anyway, in terms of the crisis, people that need to access emergency three-day food parcels, which is an awful lot, unfortunately, of the demographic down here. I've heard quite a lot about restaurants adapting their business models nationally to help out. Can you tell us what's going on in Brighton? Yeah, Brighton's an amazing place. It's a really vibrant hub of lots of local independent businesses and all of the the food industry anyway and leisure and hospitality down here have pulled together to cook from their restaurants and to deliver from our, you know, deliver to people's homes for those that are self-isolating and vulnerable. So we've had a huge community effort down here. It's really quite nice to see. And how are you connecting with vulnerable people who may have become more vulnerable in this situation? I mean, some people will be accessing services already. How are you connecting with people who need support right now? Lots of different ways, if I'm honest with you. So we have lots of mutual aid groups that are locally, uh, locally in Brighton, and they're across the city. Um, You're right, we have existing partners, key stakeholders and charities that are offering that support anyway, and they have seen an increase and rise in the need for support. So it really is community. It's really about people stepping up to the mark and being more aware of who's around them. And that's from a very basic level, like who lives on their street or who your next door neighbour is, to people linking in with local authority and saying actually we need more more food for the food banks and I think communities are really finding that they're coming together during this it is interesting what happens in a crisis and you know some of the real positives that are showing through I know we've got a village whatsapp group where people are are offering help and if somebody elderly needs a prescription to be collected then someone will step in and do that for them and this kind of thing is happening at an unprecedented level I guess that's the flip side of the good news of of what's going on in our society at the moment. Absolutely and it amazes me so the the social society already has an amazing community of people that they get together and they give their time and their skills but since this has happened we've been overwhelmed like literally overwhelmed with people saying look it doesn't matter what time of day who it is where we need to go we'll get on the bike we'll deliver to, to people that need it obviously we have to follow a process we have to implement a process that's safe for people to do that but yeah overwhelmed with the amount of people that have offered this support it's really quite fantastic. Well, I think what we'd really like to know is all of us are thinking about what's going on now in this current situation. But we have to remember, and and it's not always easy, that hopefully it will come to an end and it will end. um, And we don't know when that is or what that will look like and what the new world will be. But what three things are you looking forward to when this is all over? If you can 
choose three things today that you cannot wait to do once the situation changes, what would be your top three, Tony? Wow, that's an, that's an interesting question. Only three, right? Okay, so only three because <laughs> I think you have a long list. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there and say, literally going out and seeing friends face to face, giving them a big old hug. That's going to be the top one, I think. Going to a local independent restaurant because I think we take that for granted as well. The fact that we can just go out and and socialise that would be number two, and. Going for a run along the seafront, maybe, without the social isolation and the social distancing. So connecting with people again, it's really important. That's going to be massive for all of us. I have absolutely no doubt. Well, listen, Tony, that's been absolutely brilliant. Really interesting to hear what's Mm -hmm. going on and to understand some of the challenges. And what we'll do is we'll put a link in the show notes and on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk, to the work that you're doing and maybe we'll tap you up for some advice and that we can share on our social media to spread the word of of the good work that you and and lots of community food banks are doing because this really is very important that people get fed so thank you very much for your time and and thanks for doing all the hard work that you do thank you for having me thank you so that was great so now we're going to go over to charlotte to give us some cooking tips This week, I'd really suggest thinking about how you're planning your food and your meals. A lot of us are having to shop less frequently and also having to cook more meals than usual. So what I really recommend is doing a little audit, first of all, checking what you have in your cupboards, your fridge, your freezer, and making sure you know exactly what you have in there. You might be surprised you have more than you think, but just understanding what you've got and what you really need to make those ingredients into a meal is a good start. As Judy was saying earlier, planning your meals is a really good idea right now. A lot of us are making maybe three meals a day plus snacks, for example, and that means quite a lot of food, actually. So making sure you've got a plan for each day, what you need for each meal and how your ingredients will fit in each meal is a really good idea. What I would also recommend as well is some batch cooking or maybe doubling the recipes when you make them. It's quite a time efficient way of making meals. What I personally do is make double when I make a meal in the evening and then have it for lunch the next day just to make sure that it saves a bit of time rather than having to go through cooking three meals and washing up every day. So there's some ideas for making the most of the ingredients you have available, planning your shopping and eating well this week. I'm going to share some of my top recipes on our website and some cooking videos. So hopefully you'll have some ideas there to check out as well. So Julie, as a food supplier to the supermarkets, what's been happening in your world this week? Yeah, it's interesting times as, uh, so we are a fresh food supplier, obviously hummus is a chilled product. What we have seen is initially when the whole crazy stockpiling and shopping thing was happening and people for one week in particular right back two or three weeks ago, went really mad and and bought everything and the shelves were completely empty for a week or so. That has all sort of evened out. So the supermarkets, there was a huge amount of pressure on their supply chain. So we could get products from the factory into the main depot of, say, Sainsbury's, but then they were having to prioritise what they call core lines, so toilet roll, milk, bread, baby food, all of the things that absolutely had to be prioritised, they would be put on the lorries out of the depot into the shops before other things that were less important. But that's all sort of even though, and the supermarkets I know have been working so hard. Everyone I'm speaking to in the industry 
is just going flat out to really try and help, you know, get the availability sorted. And I know they'll get there with the online stuff as well, but I know it's not for lack of trying. I know they're working really hard. For me, what I'm also seeing is wholesalers. So companies that would normally only supply bulk products into wholesale shops, for want of a better word, those people are now able to do direct to home deliveries. So that's a new thing. People are are sort of pivoting their business to meet the needs of shoppers who are wanting to get food to their homes, don't want to or can't get out to buy it. And so they have to find another way. And again, I'll put a lot of that information on the website. There's some really good wholesale distributors that are now doing direct to consumer. So online deliveries for people to our homes uh, where we can buy food and drink products. And that I think will be really helpful. Um, I have got a special offer from one of them. I'll see if I can get a few more, but check out the website for all the latest information. It's amazing how so many businesses have managed to adapt so quickly, haven't they? Absolutely. So I'm seeing everything from these massive wholesalers doing direct to people's door deliveries to lots and lots of artisan food and drink businesses starting to find a way that they can deliver products to people. So everything from gin to chocolate, you know, a hand soap, you name it, people are really finding ways to meet the need. And they're doing it very quickly. I guess we didn't have time to prepare for this. We didn't really know it was going to happen in the way that it has so very quickly and impact things in the way that it has. So I'm, I'm really impressed at what people have been able to do. And we'll put yeah. it all on the website. So it just leaves me to say thank you to my lovely co-host, Charlotte. We have really enjoyed this first episode, haven't we, Charlotte? We have. Thank you so much, Jules. See you next week. Bye. Bye. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.